Reignite on RTE Radio 1 with AIB. It takes a certain kind of brave to run a business. We see it, we back it. Team Ireland chef de mission for the Tokyo Olympic Games was Trisha Herbalay. A proud Australian, Trisha played for and coached her native country's hockey team to Olympic level before moving into international high performance management. And what a job of management Trisha had to lead and motivate a team through this delayed and nervous Olympic campaign, albeit one that delivered a wonderful two gold and two bronze medals for Ireland. Well, Trisha Herbalay is finally back home. When I spoke to her earlier, I first asked her whether she'd caught up on her sleep. I think sometimes you underestimate the adrenaline that you're running on, especially during an event like the Olympic Games. So long days, lots of excitement, lots of highs and lows. And when that's all over, the fatigue really sets in. So I'm still pretty tired. Uh, but mentally just starting to, to come to life again. Glad to hear it. And I, I was laughing at your tweet at the weekend. I think it was your final day in Tokyo. You were the person running around, finishing the room inventory, looking for missing keys. Someone had taken a wooden bath mat uh, home as a souvenir. Did you ever find it? No, no, we didn't. I did question some of the athletes. And there was a bit of laughter in the room because <laughs> if you knew what I was talking about, they literally were wooden bath mats, which uh, I don't think anyone would want to take home. Uh, but the Japanese were absolutely fastidious around doing a detailed infantry of every room. <laughs> Proving that all leaders, you do have to just roll up your sleeves and do the nitty gritty day to day. In all of your tweeting, you'd often use this hashtag, nothing in our way. And I wondered, what were you trying to convey with that with your Olympians? Um, that was a hashtag that was created uh, by the OFI, looking at what we wanted to define us. And one of the themes we had was around our need to be adaptable, that we're in unpredictable circumstances. And so this whole nothing in our way just became a bit of a catch cry. It was about the mindset, but it was also about not making excuses, being in the moment, trying to control the things you could control and just forging ahead. How do you plan for that level of interruption? You know, Olympics are postponed, so you have to get a contingency plan. You're looking at all of your risks, but you're trying to preserve that mindset for a a year longer with your athletes. How do you do it? How do you manage that kind of chaos? It was extremely difficult because no one was prepared for this. And as a collective, none of us had had any experience of dealing with a pandemic before. And so there was a lot of learning on the job. When it actually was announced on the 24th of March in 2020, there was an absolute devastation and a sense of grieving of something lost. And I think it did take us a couple of months probably just to accept that and then to recalibrate and say, okay, what are the things we need to do? What things do sit within our control as as the OFI? And that really just became the starting point. And in all of that, are you conscious, Tricia, of a duty of care to prepare them also for the fact that only a handful of them are going to return with medals. That, And some of them are, may perceive that as failure, but that they have to be proactive about leaning into it. Yeah, absolutely. But I think you have to recognise that first piece, which is even when you're coming into the Games, you've got athletes that haven't been selected, you've got athletes that have just missed qualification, and it's devastating for them. And You try to provide support and, and messaging to them, just as you are to the actual athletes that, that make the team. In respect of when you get to the Games, you know, the Olympics is the hardest competition you will ever go into. Favourites don't always win medals. Underdogs are notorious for coming out during games competition and doing really well. So what we tried to do was not put the emphasis on medals, um, but to put the emphasis on what we needed to do every day, how we worked with sports, 
and how we allowed sports to, to keep things as routine as possible. And I think we really viewed the medals as an absolute bonus to what was a really difficult game where COVID every day shaped what we were able to do and what we couldn't do. And you get all of this because you've been an Olympian. You've played hockey for Australia in LA in 1984. You've been a coach. You've been through these huge endurance tests at the highest levels of competition. Is this what you always wanted to do? And is this the the kind of leadership you've always aspired to? Um, It's interesting because I'm not sure when you're building your career that you sit down naturally and and say, OK, I want to be in roles that absolutely stretch me. I want to be in roles that would be seen as a pinnacle of leadership. And this chef commission role was not something I necessarily aspired to, but when the opportunity was there, I put my hand up because I believed I was equipped to do the job. But every Olympics is a different Olympics. With this one, I think it challenged me to the absolute core because we were learning on the job and everyone, other than probably our medical people, did not have a lot of expertise and understanding of really how COVID could could impact on us. But from a leadership point of view, this is probably the most difficult role I've ever undertaken, and I certainly couldn't have done it without a team of fantastic people around me. But I do reflect on it and sometimes think, how did I actually keep going? How did I actually survive? And I think a lot of people will be reassured you didn't necessarily have a whole career plan. One day I'm going to lead an Irish team to the Olympics. But you went, I am equipped. I am able to do that job because all of our research shows us that often when women will look at a job advertisement and it might have 10 bullet points, they'll go, I only have three out of the 10, I can't go for that. Whereas we know our male counterparts will look at that and go, I only have three out of 10, yeah, I'm going to go for this. So there's a difference between the genders when it comes to, to job types like this. What do you say to other women, you know, in different industries and in different capacities when like a big dream job like this comes up? I mean, my my personal philosophy, and I've done this throughout my career, is I've been prepared to take calculated risks around applying for jobs that sometimes I may not have been equipped for or perceivably I may not have been ready for, but I'll always have a go. I'm not too fearful of putting myself in difficult situations and I back my skills, I back my experience and I have a level of self-confidence which I think, you know, helps me when I do step into this sort of role. But what I would say to other people is you own your confidence. Um, Your confidence isn't owned by anyone else. If you're looking to go into leadership roles, one of the best things you can do is ensure that in whatever decisions you're making um, career-wise, you are finding yourself in situations where you're building skills, you're building understanding, you're building experience, but also you're learning, potentially learning off people who are in leadership roles. I've really benefited from some fantastic mentors And I've always tried to learn from the people that were in leadership and senior management roles. But I do think it is about having the self-confidence to actually say, yeah, I I can apply for this role. One of the things I've always said to myself when I haven't got jobs is it's not necessarily reflective of the fact that I couldn't do the job. It usually just means that someone else was a better candidate. There, you talk about backing yourself. So when you step into a big role... Do you think a good leader is ultimately somebody who can show people that end line? Like, here's where we're going to land out, but also now here's how we start, like breaking it down, planning to work every day and working to that plan. Yeah, look, the planning piece is absolutely critical. But as I said, this is this is a job that probably has been the most challenging for me professionally because you can have an understanding of the Olympic Games, you can have been to the Olympic Games, 
but I don't think I'd ever understood how expansive the role of a chef commission was, let alone all of the things that a National Olympic Committee has to do before they get a team to the Games. You know, for me, it was very much around scoping what we had to do, building a very strong support team around me, you know, and I do believe that uh, leaders are good at recruiting the best people to play specific roles, as well as the fact that I had a fantastic group of staff who actually sit within the Olympic Federation of Ireland that had multiple games experience and was able to tap into their learnings, their experience and their understanding because with the Olympic Games, you're never starting with a clean piece of paper. There are core deliverables that have to be um, enacted for every Games. With that, as I said, you need to ask questions, you need to look at what worked in previous Games, what challenges may be, look at how you set up that work, how you delegate how you monitor and what your communications are to actually make sure that things are happening. Have you had a chance to consider what's next? Um, Well, unfortunately, in that I have a continuing role with the Olympic Federation of Ireland, which I'm really pleased about. I have a couple of months of of doing all the reviews, the checks and balances of of Tokyo and reflection, uh, both personally and organisational level. But for right now, the two things I'm doing are are recovering um, from what was a really challenging and long Olympic Games and just starting to do some of that reflection work on how I actually feel about things. Can I ask you finally and briefly, there's been a great conversation started in this country about how to ensure more girls play sports, go from the amateur sports into professional sports. What would you say to them this morning? I would not be in the position I'm in if it wasn't for sport. I come from a very small country town in in Western Australia and everyone played sport. Um, and sport galvanised the community. And for me, sport gave me confidence. It gave me the ability to build friendships, um, skills, take on challenge and travel the world. And I just believe that sport is just such a great benefit for so many different ways, whether you get to Olympic level or whether you're just playing club or at a county level. Tricia Heberle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Anya.